Okay, today I'm in London with Director of uh, Trading, Trading Director, sorry, for Pinnacle Bookmakers, Michael Blumer. Michael, thank you very much thank you. for agreeing to talk to us. Yeah. Um, can we get sort of go into traders? Really, what do trade? What do traders do? What are they responsible for? Well, I've changed quite a lot during my lifetime in the industry. Um, I would say, uh, if, if I go back maybe a decade or a decade and a half ago, traders were very, very instrumental for risk management. You know, the games alone without any help from automation. Nowadays, there's a lot of automation, a lot of models that begin going in. So traders have shifted again from the manual work more to uh, working with the machines, with, with the automation to try to risk manage games that way. So it, it's still the same core job that they do, which is risk management. However, the tools of the trade have changed quite dramatically. Okay. Um, so what are they responsible for? I know it sounds like a simplistic question, but are they responsible for their own particular market? Or? No, so, so it, it, I mean, at Pinnacle, we split the traders up into uh, several groups, you know, into the big sports of so, uh, football, American football, um, you have uh, the esports, the tennis. These are all individual groups of traders, so you would have a, a bunch of traders assigned to each sport. And then on any given day, a trader gets assigned a, a few leagues with us. Um, when you talk about live games, then you would have sometimes a one-to-one -one relationship. So one trader for, per one NBA game, and that's all they trade. Um, in a specific game, however, the trader then trades all markets. So it wouldn't be that, you know, we rarely, rarely have a trader responsible, let's say, for the first half market markets and somebody for the game markets. It almost never happens. Okay, so what qualifications are you looking for when you <laughs> employ a, a pencil trader? So that's a question I've been asked a, a thousand times. So, um, Obviously, there is no formal training for being a trader. So, so what are good starting points for, for being a trader? Um, a guy who likes punting, that's certainly a, a good start. Someone who understands the betting markets. Math, statistics, something from that. Um, we have had good success with hiring people who are avid game players. Might be chess, might be backgammon, might be any other game. People who like risk in some way, shape or form, who understand risk, who understand probability, who probably don't think so much in black and white but more in a probabilistic space and understand well it's not 100% that a team has to win it's 65% likely or 35% likely so that's something we, we, we're looking forward in, in traders okay so you've risen to the, the top of your profession what is your background my, my background is actually uh, quite antithetical to the sports betting so I, when I came to sports betting I've never ever placed a sports bet in my life Neither have I visited a bookmaker. So I come from a background of playing a lot of games, board games, strategy games. And then I went into poker. So I played professional poker for a few years. Uh, I was with people uh, probably now call a bonus hunter for casino online. So I, I did a lot of casino bonus hunting. So I always was in the gambling space, just never in the sports betting space. And I came to Pinnacle as a brand new guy off the street, you know, but uh, as somebody who understood game theory and game optimal plays quite well and, uh, and thus you know, I started Pinnacle and, you know, and worked my way up. Okay, so what made you gravitate to the bookmaking industry? So uh, friends of mine who played uh, the, in, the, in, in the board games with me on the trading card games actually called a game called Magic the Gathering, they split up into a few groups. Some of them went into finance, Wall Street, some of them went into poker and the third bunch went into a sports betting and they were they were doing uh, quite sophisticated things and Pinnacle got interested you know, on, on doing something with them and they were the ones who gave me the reference to Pinnacle. They said, yeah, there's a few smart guys in Germany. So uh, a few of my friends and myself joined Pinnacle. 
Okay, now I've always do my research on my, my interviewees and I've got to say, listening to some of your interviews made my head spin a bit. Um, coding in R, analytics, I mean, all this is a bit difficult for the layman. How much of the market is generated by, you know, is this how the markets are all formed these days? No, the, the, the short answer is yes. You know, that, that, that's the short answer. I mean, the, the, the punter is still there and, and, and the knowledgeable punter still plays a big role. But the core of the market is, is, has to be formed by machines. And the reason is, is, is not so much that punters couldn't do it, it's mainly because they couldn't keep up with the, with the, with the sheer amount of games we offer. I mean, we offer up to the 4th, 5th Division League in Brazil, 4th Division League in Thailand, 3rd in Vietnam. How, how could we possibly have that many punters working for us? So we, you need some form of automation to help it. Um, punters play a big role in the high-level market. So if you talk about the NFL, the NBA, uh, maybe the, the Barclay Premier League or whatever, like if you, or La Liga, information there is, is, is quite good, you know, and models might not pick it up as fast. Okay, so do you need to be able to write code and do you do all that yourself or is that something you've gone through and now risen above? Um, so myself, I, I, I taught myself how to, how, to, how, to, how to write code just because of frustration. Um, so the, uh, what, what happened is I wanted to do data science, what, what people now call data science or data analytics basically, and it always took way too long for me to, to ask somebody to do it for me. So eventually I was, got so frustrated that, 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 that I went online so, and, and, and took, a, took a course online and taught it, taught it to myself. Okay, now you talk, you've already talked about risk management, you hear that a lot. Is that simply making sure you don't lose too much or is there more to it than that? Um, I would say there's a little bit more. I mean, losing, losing, not losing a lot is, is, is a good start, but I mean, and actually it's about uh, maximizing equity or, or expected value, how we call it. It's the idea that, you know, nothing, nothing is black and white. There, there, there's always an underlying probability that A and B happens. And you, and you, and you try to, uh, to shift the risk in a way that, that regardless of the outcome, you have probably have a positive expectation. Okay, now, one of the things that you said on, in a, a previous interview was you cannot change the bets you've laid, only those that you're about to lay. Yeah. Can you go a bit more in depth into that? Yeah, so, so traders, novice traders or even intermediate traders, have the tendency to to dwell in the past, you know, maybe maybe they they just got in a bet they don't they don't like because they moved the line in a certain way, and I always try to tell them well that, that already happened. Nothing you're going to do is going to change what happened. The question is where's the next wager going to be, and how do you how do you get on top of your horse again? What I don't want traders to do is is compounding on mistakes because something bad has happened. I'm now doing something even worse and even worse and even worse and getting into a very bad spiral. You know, I try to say well. Treat it as an empty, empty slate. This is just the situation you're in and try to move forward from that. Okay, so would it be fair to say that rather than bet to an opinion, you are the best at keeping track of the markets? Yes, I, 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 don't actually, I don't actually want my traders to have strong opinions on the game. If, if, if they would have strong opinions, they would be worth a lot. They would probably be on the other side probably punting. So it's more about like, let's be, let's be market, market aware. Let's, let's, let's go with the market flow. Let's, let's, you know, like, like an old trader who taught me the trade said, you know, listen to the music, you know, see what, see what bets come in, see what the market does and then don't try to fight it, you know. But, you know, as, but if you see an opportunity to, 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 to strike, capitalize on it. Okay, so would you say that the pinnacle closing line is near the absolutely true price that it's possible to get? It's probably the best estimation that we have. And how does it compare to the betting exchange, betting SPs? So, betting exchanges have, have a very efficient market. 
However, most of the time, the betting exchanges will follow the traditional bookmaking world like, like we do. So we are probably more influential on, on, on markets like Betfair or other exchanges than people realize. I mean, they usually move with markets like us moving. Now, Pinnacle are like a mythical name for the <laughs> British punters because you've got a winner's welcome policy and most, most successful gamblers in the UK probably, you know, they can't bet with you. So how, how do you, how can you buck the trend where other bookmakers close everybody down and you don't? It's, it's part of our business model, so it's, it's inherently baked into who we are. Um, the way that I describe it to other people is I, I, we pay for information. So it's very clearly, if you're a professional punter, per definition, you're making money punting. That's the definition that I have for a professional punter. And I cannot change that because you have the choice to place a wager or not. However, what I can do and, and what we do quite well is work with the information that you present to me. So every information has a certain, uh, every wager is information. And what we do is if we get a professional punter in place of the wager, we try to then optimize the line and, and try to uh, you know, make money off the future wagers. Okay, and I've got a, a few more questions about that later. I've heard you to talk about that before, but you allow people to bet into huge figures, even in millions in cases, is that correct? That is correct. Um, so you bet to low margins and high limits and let punters win. Does that make life a lot harder for the traders who don't have the blunt instrument option of just getting rid of the winning punters? Yes, but, but, but uh, that, that being said, is most of my traders never knew a different word. So it might be very, very hard if you come from the world of, of being able to stake factor or kick people out. This, this is never given in Pinnacle. From day zero, you come in and just say, well, this is the game. This is how it's being played. Try to play the game the best you can. So if, if you never have this big, big option of, of kicking people out, I think you have to live with the reality. It has forced our hands many, many times. So what, 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 what can happen is that some punter finds an edge or, or something that, that exists and, and starts you know, making a lot of money and then all of a sudden it, it, it shifts our entire priority list. We now have to get our modeling team on top, our trading team on top and then say, okay, what is this punter doing? Why is he doing it? And, and how can we prevent it in the future? Yeah, that's, if you keep preempting my questions, the next question was going to be, how long a history of a punter do you need before, you're, before their business is treated with the sort of respect that you've just described? Very little, surprisingly, and, and that has to do with us being very, very market aware. So you, 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 you try to understand exactly, okay, how does this bet play into the market? Does this, does this bet make any sense? Is this a good bet? Is this a bad bet? Obviously, we don't get the sample size that we need to do traditional statistical analysis. You know, might be 10,000 wagers. Who's placing 10,000 wagers at one bookmaker? There's very, very few that actually do it. So it takes a, would take too long. So we're trying to, to, uh, to, uh, to take some of the wager information and see, okay, well, does this make sense? Is this the, the pattern that a good punter would, would, would have? And, and would you have an idea about, if you got a new client, would you sort of do research and try and find out who they were? No, that, that, that's, that's not feasible in our, in our world. Okay, what percentage of your punters would be winners? Would be winners? No, what percentage of your punters are winners? I don't know the figure. And the, does, does the fact that they win mean that you still get far too much wrong, or is it all about the closing line? It's more about the closing line. As I said, I, I mean, 
the information the information that professional punters have is, is not I'm not privy to right they might have done like a tremendous amount of research on a specific league maybe a second division league they might know the players inside and out I, I have 50 60 sports that are offer I cannot go in, in the depths that punters can go punters can specialize can really research it and I, I can't do it so so, so to me to me it, it, it's not indicative of, of me doing something wrong you know, it's only the question is how do I work with information in the most efficient way. So would your Achilles heel be the lesser known sports, the lower down leagues? In, 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 some, in some ways, for sure. However, the limits and the overround margin is, is, is adjusted for that. So while we would take a tremendous amount of wagers on, on, on a La Liga game, or an NBA game, or an NFL game, with a very low margin, if you now go down, down the tier leagues, you know, the, the, the overround is increasing and the limits are reducing. So it's, it's, it's to make up for, for that fact. It's like a handicap in golf. Okay, Mark, we talked in the first part about that you use a lot of analytics, you've got coding, lots of work goes into forming the markets. The maths can't be, can maths be accurate enough? But there's no way of calculating into your figures luck or human error, or is there? No, math per definition will create a model, and a model, that's actually the name of, of, of it, is, is not the truth. So what we are trying to do, we're trying to model a sport, a game, a league or whatever, to the best of our, of our abilities. But we, 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 we don't model for the specifics, we model for generality. You know, if you now talk about human, human like, like uh, playing the game or, or what you might call luck, you know, this might be specifics of the game, right? You know, maybe the guy woke up with the wrong feet, his wife yelled at him in the night. My model would not be aware. How would my model possibly know that? And, and so, so there's levels of models. I've seen, lot, I've seen models with humidity playing a role, like in baseball. I've seen everything under the sun in a model. Our models are often on a more general basis because of, of, of the necessity of us offering so much product. Okay, now you say that you, you take colossal bets on some markets. Do you have a model that predicts the volume that you will take on that particular market so you know if somebody comes in early for a huge bet that you, you probably can accommodate that? Yeah, no, we don't have that. However, to, 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 to be fair to your question, we, we adjust our limits quite, quite, quite strongly when, uh, when time is passing. So the very early limits are a lot lower than the late limits. So we, we address the uncertainty by, by adjusting our limits over time. So uh, to give a more concrete example, like a Premier League game might open for £2,000, then go to £5,000 on, on a game day before, on game day goes to £20,000, an hour before it goes to £50,000. So you have a natural transition when it comes closer to kick-off where uncertainty has, has lessened. We now know the lineup. We know everybody was fit. We know the weather. We know everything about the game. Okay, so would your... your um Feared punters, if you like, take they take a hit on their stake rather than a hit on the odds. Well, it depends a little bit. So, so you, you have uh, what people call the prisoner dilemma, right? You, you, everybody know, might know the information that somebody's injured, but the question is like, how much do you want to get paid for it? Are you happy playing for five hundred quid, or do you want to wait for five thousand quid? And what happens if what happens if somebody else takes the information before? Then then it's worthless. So that's why the professional punters you know, like guard their information as much as, as, as they would guard, guard their child's, right? To not give out any, any information beforehand because they need to get down size. If you think about professional punters, some might not work alone. They might work in a team. They might have a database guy, an IT guy. That means they actually have cost attached to it. 
So just placing 2,000 quid might not be sufficient for them to make cost. So they need to wait until they can play 20,000 or 30,000 quid. Okay, and then another thing that you've said is that the market almost always out-trumps the traders. Now that would probably put a fear of God into the traders. Should they be looking over their shoulder? <laughs> I, I believe that markets are incredibly strong. Absolutely incredibly strong. And if, 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 you, if you don't know the information that's moving the market, you know, it's probably not good to fight the market. You know, market, markets, financial markets, political markets, whatever markets are incredibly strong. So, so that's what I mean. Like as a trader, you're more, you're not the player in, in the concert. You're more, you're more like the guy in front. You know, like like coordinating everything. And that's how I, that's how I see traders. They're there to facilitate action. You know, they just need to understand. Okay, where's the music going? Okay, where's the trend? Okay, in the last five minutes, every bet has been on the over. Okay, let me adjust the over a little bit. Oh, now it's a push on the under immediately. Means there was probably under money out there that was just waiting for the line to adjust and try to play with the market a little bit. Understand how does how does it work? How's the market moving? What's happening? Okay, you mentioned earlier that your traders may have a punting background. Are they? encouraged or discouraged to follow in your sharpest punters? Is that allowed? That's forbidden. You know, that, that, that would be a high conflict of interest. Like, in general, the way that we treat it is like if you, you're not allowed to punt when you work for us. You know, there might be a few exceptions on, on, on big events that might not, might not be your sport. Like, if you're a tennis trader, you want to punt on the World Cup, so be it, right? You know, but in general, it, it's highly discouraged. Okay, now, I've also heard you say, so I keep quoting you, some... <laughs> of your most successful football traders with a decade's experience couldn't tell you what team is top of the league. Now, how does that work? That is 100% true. They wouldn't even know a player in the league. They are, they are very, very good at understanding the market dynamics for the league. And, and they have a lot of respect for the winning punters in the league, the people with the information, the people who do the research, the people who know the inside and out, and how this all factors in. It, 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 might be a, it might be hard to believe when, when you come from the pure punting world, because it's the opposite, but for us it, it's, it's, being, it's, it's being part of the market that exists and leading that market and understanding, okay, now there's a trend coming this way and I, and I can jump ahead of the trend, or I know what's happening, right? everybody pushed on Tottenham all day long, but I, I know there's Manchester City money out there, I just, and I know it's going to come now. And if, if you start understanding this a little bit, you're starting to actually play the role of a trader to, to, to a best degree. Okay, now you've, another a phrase that I learned for the first time was super forecasters. Now, you don't stop anybody betting with you, you don't close anybody down. Correct. So, is there not a fear that all these super forecasters are going to come up with the same outcome and you're going to have a massively lopsided book? Um, no, not really, because, because what, what we will do is, like every, after every wager, we will automatically adjust the line. So, meaning that the price that they've gotten has moved, which means the probability has moved, and eventually their forecast, you know, it might, might go from, 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 from heads to tails, right? That's how it works. Okay, so you, you've also priced up anything from the next Pope, Game, yes. of, Game of Thrones, table tennis, politics, and esports. Correct. How time consuming is it to accurately price each event? So, is it, is it worth the time you spend? pricing up some of these novelty events, or is it all part of the fun? That's fun. No doubt about it. That's fun. We, we know as little as the general public. No doubt about it. We do a little bit of research. For I'm guessing, like, obviously, Game of Thrones, everybody watched it. Everybody had opinion, so we polled in the office, saw what people did, gave a little bit of waiting to it, and then just, just threw it out there. That's not a market we are, we are planning to win. You know, it's a market that, that we're offering for fun. 
the popes we did a little bit research you know we, we didn't even have the winning pope in our lineup i think we offered 16 popes or 24 popes and it was none of the 16 24 that shows you how good of research we, we've done when you talk about esports there's a ton of work going into that i have like 30 people just working on esports yeah the esports were have been for quite some time been touted as, touted as the next big betting thing it doesn't appear to have happened in the uk but i mean you're a global firm so how big is esports it's our fourth biggest sport so absolutely massive you know so yeah i mean it's interesting for me to see that for some regions for some bookmakers it hasn't taken on at all and then i know several other bookmakers where it's taken off completely and uh, it's hard for me to, to really say why is that or what i do think is going to happen the further further we, we go along in time, the more people are going to grow up with esports. You know, that's the reality. I mean, there's people now who, who grew up and are going to, going to become 30 who, who never knew a world where esports doesn't exist. And that's what they like to watch. And do you have professional punters that are making it pay backing on esports? Yeah, very few, but, but, but they do exist. You know, I, I think the, even the syndicates have been slow to adapting, but you know, the, the syndicates need market size. So if the market ever grows bigger, I'm sure somebody will not say no to free money. Okay, now you, you're talking about free money. We, you've, you've covered it really when you say that you, you, these markets are for fun. But the Pope, the Game of Thrones, there are people that are going to know the result before everybody else knows the result. So, I mean, what safeguards do you have to ensure that you don't get tucked up there? We have a, a ton of, of safeguards around liability. So if we, accrue, if we would accrue too much liability on a certain outcome, the betting would be taken offline and, and, and you know, a trader would have to review it. Basically, yeah, exactly what you say. Somebody would know the answer. I mean, in the Pope, it's, 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 it's a little bit different, but in Game of Thrones, 100%. And that's certainly what, what, what happened at the end. I mean, I used to offer a lot of Oscar betting, and I got very disenchanted with the Oscars because I knew every single outcome before. You know, and not because I'm so smart, it's because somebody who knew the information betted into us. And do, do those people get a yellow card? They should, you know, I don't give them a yellow card because to me it's fair game. I mean, they're not doing anything illegal, right? They're just betting information that I don't have into the market. Now, what is the hardest market or sport to beat the punters on? Now, surprisingly, like uh, the, the big markets are surprisingly hard, like a Premier League or whatever. It's just because the information density is so high and everybody knows everything about it. It's surprisingly hard. But then again, in the smaller leagues, right, we have zero information, but so does everybody else. I mean, who really knows what's happening in Thailand's second division, right? We try to almost keep things on a level playing field by adjusting the margins and the limits to harmonize it a little bit over, over the entire structure. Okay, now you've, you've developed um, a way of almost finishing up with the perfect, the perfect odds for an event. When you see competitors wildly, well, you know, definitely out of sync. Do you not, you not feel tempted to make them pay for their, for their mistakes? Yeah, I, I am, but, but, it, but it's, it's too much work for me to do it. it it's, 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 not, it's, it's, not, it's not lucrative for us. I would need to hire somebody, I would need to start opening accounts, I would need to do you know, like all the paperwork and all, all setting this up to place a few wagers. It, it's, it's not lucrative for me. Yeah, so you wouldn't be like a predatory company sometimes? Well, the way that we do it is, is, is by, by hopefully somebody taking take an arbitrage between us and the bookmaker, right? And, and basically they will, you know, pocket the profits, which is nice, you know, either 
and and uh, and have to do through, have to do the work by setting up the accounts. Maybe they get kicked out by, by the competitor, you know. But at least I don't have to do it myself. Yeah, and there's no, there's, so there's no hedging or anything similar to hedging involved in your markets. We were used to, but but we stopped hedging actively you know, probably a decade ago. Now it's all done through trading. We try to move the markets in a certain way that that other people would take the arbitrage or would take the value bet or whatever it is to to to, to what people would call hedging. Okay, and finally, this is it's a but I imagine it's a very high pressure business. Um, it's okay. I mean, I mean, yeah, it is high pressure, but on the other hand, it's a fun job. You know, you're you're, you're dealing with interesting people. You you're trying to get a good product out. I quite enjoy it. You know, and I've been doing it for for a long time. I got a good team with me. You know, I'm not alone. I keep keeping the good fight going. Okay, so Marco Marco Blume, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay, Marco, the the B two B business that you that Pinnacle do. Um, can you explain us a bit to us a bit more about that? Yeah, so it's been a great focus of, of us over the last years. The idea was or is that what Pinnacle does very very well is good risk management, and and we figured there might be appetite in the market for other people to basically utilize our risk management on top of their brand. I mean, there's many, many good people who are very good at branding and marketing and building like a great user experience, but what they really need is, is, is good risk management. So we built um, two very, very uh, popular products in the market. One is an iframe product where people can basically plug and play an iframe into the website and have everything ready in a few weeks. It's, it's a great product, it's, it's, taken, uh, it's quite popular in Asia, like, people really like it, it's a great product. And the other is an API-driven product, and a, a managed trading service, so it's a fully risk-managed trading service API. You plug it into your existing system, and we take care of all the risk management for you, and you run your brand on top of us. And uh, it has been successful, we, we uh, have produced great uh, numbers for the people who have taken it. Um, so it's something I'm very, very proud of, you know, that the team has built overall and it's something that we're going to put a lot of effort in. The big hook for it is actually eSports. Um, and the reason being is many, many people have a good tennis product, they have a good football product, but nobody really has a good eSports product. So we've taken a, probably the best eSports product in the industry, made it available through the B2B, and that is really the kicker. People, people love having a good B2B product. People who work, you know, if you think about board members from a, from a company where esports has not taken on, but they heard the same thing that you heard, it's the next big thing, they want it for their brand, but they don't really want to risk a lot of money. You know, how do you do it? Well, you, you come to us, you integrate us, and, and you know you're in good hands. And the way that we treat you is, is very, very simple. Um, you can treat our product almost like a casino product because we can guarantee your profit on every turnover dollar generated or turnover GBP generated, which makes it very, very easy. You can now think, okay, if I, if I give you like, if I have to spend a thousand quid to acquire some, some clients with free bets or bonus or whatever it is, now Pinnacle has given me a guaranteed return, which is fantastic for me. So we really got, we really had good success with it. Esports is, is is the next big thing. You know, for some people it might be the next big thing in 2025. For us it has been the next big thing in 2016. We started doing esports in 2011. So I'm on a 10-year esports journey and I've just been to a panel that says it's 2022, the, the year of the esports. And I, I had to say, well, I, I think it was 2016 maybe for me. Because esports has been growing fast for over a decade. So we, we started very, very small. We didn't start because we thought it was the, big, the next big thing. It's not because we're a super forecaster. It's because we're esports players. 
and we just thought, oh, it might be fun to put up some lines, maybe somebody will bet it. And now it became such, such a big part of the Pinnacle DNA. I mean, I think even, even our CEO, Paris Smith, has spoken at more esports panels than any other panels by now. And it's, it, it's, not, it's not because she, she's not uh, highly qualified to speak at the other panels, it's because it's so unique to have a bookmaker that, that, that does esports well, that, that she's such a highly thought of, thought of a speaker. I suppose that one of the byproducts of uh, lockdowns all around the world is that a lot more people playing these games. It was phenomenal. I mean, the, the, the lockdown in many, many ways, how bad it was for everybody else. For esports in particular, it was amazing. I mean, not only did we have the luxury of having every single trader focus on esports and Pinnacle, because that's the only thing that we could do, it was also uh, fun to see like so many people joining the esports craze. You know, people who have never placed a single esports wager in their life suddenly started betting esports, and many of them stuck to it. So you have people who are now like, oh, that's actually a nice game to, to watch. It's good action, 24-7 games, no breaks, people play during the week, you know, lots of, lots of tournaments. So it's really a fun, a fun uh, betting, betting game. And it must be, um, must be potential to be one of the biggest spectator sports ever. It's unbelievable. I mean, I mean here in uh, exactly two days on the 7th of October 2021, the, the biggest esports tournament of the world is starting. And I think the prize pool is going to be $40 million dollars. 40 million dollars for an esports tournament. So it's probably unbelievable that the winning team is going to take home more than a Grand Slam winner. So where, where is the hotbed of esports at the moment? There's several. So you have Scandinavia. You know, Scandinavia has been traditionally very, very strong. From Scandinavia, you go into the CIS region, you know, very, very interested. And then Asia, right? So Korea famously was, was ahead of the esports curve by 15, 20 years. I mean, they had esports on mainstream TV at the end of the 90s. It's the countries who adopted the internet very, very early and had high-speed internet, because that's a requirement for, for eSports. And that's also the reason it, it's, it's, uh, it's increasing now that you know, mobile phones are in the, at the verge of becoming 5G, but we're in the 4G era. That means a lot of the, the, the eSports is actually played on the mobile phone. High-speed internet is now a commodity. You have almost permitted it in every corner of the world. And so you have content accessible to you that you can either consume or actively participate in which compared to traditional sports, right, it's, it's very, very hard to play basketball right here, right now. We can't, but we can play esports right here, right now. And is it an easy sport to date in mind because it's all online? And well, in theory, it's the best sport for data mining that ever existed, right? Because you have no ambiguity. You have no referee calls. You have no wrong decisions. Everything is computer generated. So you, you, in theory, you have 100% accurate data all the time, which is quite fascinating when you come from traditional sports where you know, the empires play a big role. And would the, would the, is it volume, <coughs> volume of small bets or the, or the, um, it's, it's a mix. So you have, you have a lot of tournaments with, with, with small bets, you know, the, the international, the tournament that's starting in two days with 40 million, we are expecting to punt. Right now you can bet the outright, so the winner of the tournament, I think, I think our limits are now 5,000 pounds or 5,000 dollars. And you know that's quite substantial for for an esports tournament. We expect the games to be trading in the ten to twenty thousand level, which is I mean, that's the level of Bundesliga games or Serie A games. That's some serious serious money that you can put down. Smaller tournaments might even trade for as low as a hundred dollars. So you have a huge you know, huge uh, range of tournaments in esports. And it's I suppose it's totally live when you wherever you watch it. Yes. So everything. So there's no worries about in running betting, and that's. No, so, so I mean, we, we offer everything live, so there's complete live betting. You have, you have many, many good sites that would stream it, you know, I mean, YouTube Live, Twitch, 
those will be the traditional sites where you can watch all the games. Okay, there you're going to talk about super forecasters again. Have you anybody super forecasted what's over the horizon for for the next esports? But not necessarily esports. Just the next phenomenon you'll be betting on. Ah, uh, it's interesting. I I don't know what the next phenomenon is. I mean, I, I haven't seen a sport that has, that has, that has kept uh, the audience like like uh, imagination. Like people people like drone racing. You know, I, I don't know about it, but I think it's quite enjoyable to watch. But it's hard to understand where the skill is in. It might fall in the same pitfall that Formula One is in, with a big audience but no betting. Formula One is very notorious, like lots of interest, lots of advertisement. Even the TVs have it, but you have almost no betting on it. That's one thing. I don't know what, what, what's coming next. I actually don't know in an open new sport. You had this attempt on what is it called three and three basketball now in the Olympics. Didn't quite pan out. Nobody was really that interested. So I don't know what the next formula is going to be. Okay, and well, just going back to the, a lot of low-grade stuff you bet on. There's been talk in the past, particularly tennis matches, where there's been presumed skullduggery. I mean, is yeah. that not a big risk? Or would you with the red lights flash quite quickly? They would flash quite quickly, but it is a big risk. I'm, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to uh, to gloss, gloss over that. It's just the reality. If if, if you have a low uh, a low level tournament with with a low payout, right? Maybe a, a tournament that pays out a few thousand dollars, if at all, and you allow betting on it, right? Eventually, the uh, you can bet so much more than, than the players can make, which obviously means that there is some chance of of, of, of something under the hand going on. We we put a lot of effort in, 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 into combating this, not not because of altruism. It's not because we, we love the world so much. It's because it costs us money, and which which I think is the best motivator and should also you know, like make people aware that we actually care quite a lot about fixing it for our own pocket. We want we want safe games. We want safe sports. We don't want to pay these guys these these, these shady characters. We want them out of the sport. So the more that we can do to help help with the regulators with the uh, with all the uh, governing bodies of the sport. We've been working on it for, for, for such a long time. But so have many people. I mean, it, 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 overall, the, the, the betting industry is trying to very, very actively fight this. And one of the betting markets in recent years that you didn't need any skullduggery in, they're just colossal shocks and politics. How big a, how big a thing is politics for your um, betting? So I, I've been publicly saying that the uh, Trump uh, defeat in the election was the biggest betting event in the history of Pinnacle. Politics is very polarizing in the sense like an event like uh, the US presidential election is massive and everything else might, might, might be non-existent. We didn't offer Brexit betting markets because we don't operate in the UK. You know, it, was, it was a great betting, betting market in the hindsight and kind of like a shame that we didn't offer it. You know, but you know, politics, like a Trump, Trump, was a, Trump versus Biden was just a phenomenal election. So many opinions and, and so many people wanted to have a punt on it. It was, was incredible. And is politics something... Um, that, that is big sort of betting all around the world. Would you offer markets in no, places you probably wouldn't? No, so we, don't, we, we, we literally only, only offer the US betting market. There's this right now an election in France, which is quite, quite interesting from a politics point of view, but there, there wouldn't be a big betting market around it. And, and do you bet on, obviously it's very similar to sort of the stock market, do you bet on the sort of fluctuations on the... Uh... No, it's, it's, it's actually not, not like, like many of these bets wouldn't be allowed, wouldn't be covered by, by the regulator. You know, especially when, when you start betting on stocks, right? You come in close to actually being a facilitator of stocks. You don't want to go there. So, so we've never touched that. Yeah. So what finally, what would be one of the bigger markets that people may not expect would be big? Oh, that's a, that's, that's a good question. Well, esports for sure. Well, we, t- we touched upon that. Um, 
not probably a big, I don't know, I think everything else is kind of like people expect it to be. Esports is the big exception. Cricket, tennis? Well, cricket is massive in the world, but I, I would assume people expect it to be massive. I mean, if you look at Betfair or whatever that people are very familiar with, you know, it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite astonishing numbers that, 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 that are written on Betfair. Okay, so you're not, you're not short of markets to bet on. So. <laughs>